first session. The first session is kind of a foundational session. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to do a second session that is really, really, I think, one of the most helpful parts of his material is walking through the different seasons of parenting because you have to approach things a bit differently uh, as we're learning with a three-year-old than you do with a 10-year-old or with a 16-year-old. So, but if you only have a three-year-old, uh, it's so important for you to understand kind of the trajectory of where your parenting is going um, that will help you in every season. So um, that's gonna be helpful. And then at the end, we will have uh, time for Q&A. So if you guys, did everybody get an outline when they came in or do we need to hand some of those out? Every, give me a thumbs up if you guys have an outline. Okay, good. And then do you guys have the little QR code where you can submit questions? Thumbs up on that? Awesome. Okay, so we're gonna watch those as they come in. And so as a question occurs to you during the session, go ahead and pull out that QR code, send the question in, and then uh, Steve will walk through a number of those at the very end, all right? Um, now, with that, let me introduce Steve, and then I'm gonna pray for us as we get started. So um, Steve and I uh, had a great dinner last night at Taco Neta, and uh, that was our highlight of the weekend right there, I feel like. Uh, have you guys been to Taco Neta? You guys, you, there, you know what I'm talking about, man. Are, are you thumbs up on it? Okay, awesome, man. Uh, that's my uh, supplemental recommendation. Date night at Taco Neta. Uh, you won't go wrong there. Uh, but, but we're able to just catch up. And what's great is even though our paths have never intersected a ton, uh, Steve and I have a long history in our family of churches and Sovereign Grace churches together. And uh, even as Steve is sharing just about his journey and his life, um, uh, there's so many different things that I think we're going to benefit from today. Uh, Steve has a very unique uh, blend of different skills. Uh, one is that he's a dad, a faithful dad to his, his four kids. Uh, but two, he's also, he's got uh, basically two decades of experience as a pastor in various contexts, uh, both in kind of uh, larger churches and then smaller churches and then smaller churches that grew um, from there. Uh, he also is, has experience as an educator. He's a headmaster of a school. He is, as you'll hear about on Sunday, he's tr uh, starting a college, which you don't, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that was allowed, but you can start a college. Um, and uh, Steve is also a unique blend of kind of very high education, but also very on the ground experience. And I think you're going to hear both of those. Um, so his understanding of the word is there, his understanding of how do kids learn and, and what's going on there, and then his understanding of just what does it look like to faithfully walk with your kids um, toward Jesus. So because of all those reasons, I'm super excited for us to benefit from Steve today. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray for us that the Lord would help us get everything we can out of this morning and that we'd be able to, uh, to really receive kind of from the word today. So if you guys bow your heads, uh, we'll pray and then, and then we'll have Steve come on. Uh, Lord, we, we do pray for your grace as parents. Lord, we, we thank you for um, the opportunity to just spend a morning um, learning about what it means to be a parent, to parent well according to the Bible. Lord, there's so much confusion in our world today about what the task of parenting is. Um, there's so many different kind of opposite priorities parents are called to in our culture. On the one hand, letting your kids do whatever they want. On the other hand, restricting everything your kids do. Lord, there's just so much confusion. I pray that uh, as we open up the word today, the Bible would provide clarity that the clarity of scripture would be illuminating and helpful and that every single parent would walk out of today's seminar with a hopeful path of what it means to be a parent according to the Bible. And Lord, I also just pray for, uh, for encouragement to come through your word. Lord, the task of parenting can feel overwhelming at times. It can feel 
um, frustrating at times. Lord, I, I, I'm just aware, like, like Jen and I, many parents are coming in after maybe a hard season with one of their kids. It's been difficult to try to get them to obey or listen. And I pray that you would just encourage parents as well. And I pray for Steve. Lord, thank you for him, the long day of travel yesterday. I pray that you would help him be able to teach, teach well, teach effectively in order to serve our parents. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Steve, why don't you come up and uh, start, and can we welcome Steve as he comes, guys? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It is uh, really great to be here with you. I have um, not really spent any meaningful time in El Paso. I've been to El Paso four or five times before, but always on the way to Rancho 3M. And so to, to be here and to get to spend time with you this weekend is, is really a treat. I am... Uh, very honored Ricky's, by Ricky's introduction, and I find that uh, encouraging. But also, I am a little concerned that your expectations might be ratcheted a little too high after that. So um, I hope this is helpful to you. And um, I feel like uh, it's important that you know I'm not coming in here. Oh, great. Thank you. I could just hold it, but that, that's fantastic. Perfect. Um, I come not as an expert in parenting. I, I come as a as a parent who has spent the last 19 years very desperate for the grace of God in, in our parenting, uh, very, very eager for wisdom uh, and biblical perspective, wherever I could find it, and particularly desirous of a merger of, of like a rich theology of parenting and real solid practical wisdom for what do I actually do? I feel like so many of my parenting questions have just revolved around, yeah, but what do I do? Um, and a lot of head scratchers on that. And, and that, I think, the Lord has designed it that way, I think, to, to, uh, to leave us dependent on Him, to cause us to, to rely on Him and His Word and, and His people and to, to reach out to others. And so some of the stories you're going to hear me tell are just, just advice that I've gotten from others that we try to act on and implement in our parenting. And uh, that has really served us along the way. So um, Nicole and I have been married 22 years. We have four kids. They are all teenagers right now, 19, 18, 15, and 13, two boys, two girls, uh, two the old-fashioned way, two we adopted from Ethiopia. So uh, they are a delight. I love them, and I wish they were here just so you could meet them because they're so much fun. Um, and I come very aware. We've, okay, we've made mistakes. We tried to learn from them. And so um, I want to I talk a little bit about that. Before we get too far into this outline, I want to just recognize that because parenting is one of the most challenging endeavors that we will undertake as Christians, I recognize that there might be a, a number of different places that even a group this size that you might be coming from as parents. And I can attest that there is a great deal of joy in watching children grow and coming alongside and helping them and teaching them about the Lord and seeing them mature and start to take the first steps of faith or independence or maturity. That's all wonderful. Um, I'm also aware that my sense of dependence upon God, my sense of responsibility before God, that grows every year as well. As, as my kids get older, I realize, well, if they make mistakes... If they sin, if they wander from the faith, the, the, the stakes are just getting higher and higher with them. And I feel that. And I expect that some of you um, could be here in a variety of, of places. Some of you, maybe your oldest 
your oldest kid is about to be a teenager. Maybe you're just coming into that season, or maybe you just have toddlers at home and you're just worn out and frazzled and like, how do we even have time to catch our breath and think through what we need to do next? Or others of you, maybe you're just right on the edge of being an empty nester and you just want to finish well and you're thinking about how do I, how do I help my kids with their grand, as a grandparent even? Um, so there's a, a variety. Some of you might be worn out and sleep deprived from chasing the little ones around. Um, maybe you're anxious about how to set a school-aged child on the right trajectory. Um, and some of you just might be, might be wondering, like, how, I, I read these verses in the Bible about parenting, but how do I flesh that out? What does that look like day to day in our daily lives? That's part of what we want to talk about today. Um, I, I do particularly want to say that if you have older, older, older children who are, say, teenagers or beyond early teens, uh, sometimes hearing a talk like this, especially the things we say about younger children, it's very possible to look in the rearview mirror and think, oh, I missed it. And to come out of a seminar like this with a degree of regret um, or aware of weaknesses, sins, and deficiencies in our parenting. And so I just I want to anticipate that possibility that any one of us might think of what we've done so far and think, yeah, man, oh gosh, I blew it. I wish I had done this differently. And I, I, I just I want to say a word to that before we get into it, that, that it's not too late, and the Lord is a redeemer. The Lord loves to redeem even stories of our sin, our selfishness, our ignorance, our inability, our weakness, our frailty. The Lord works in and through those things to accomplish his will. And I can testify, as a former teenager, I can testify it's not too late. As a kid, I grew up going to church, and I, I never really experienced very deliberate or consistent discipleship from my parents. We moved around a lot growing up. Every couple of years, we moved. And so we would attend a new church. Nobody really got to know my parents. Nobody ever really invested in them or discipled them. They did the best they knew and did, I think, a great job as parents, but never really discipled me as a Christian. And um, my, it showed in my life because I, I was a, a hypocrite as a, as a teenager. And then as a, around the time I went to college, one of the pastors at our church in Virginia started discipling my dad. And as my dad began to grow, he began to see the need to invest in me and to disciple me. I came home from uh, college Thanksgiving break of my freshman year. Oops, sorry. It was just like... Who is this? What happened to dad? He wants to talk all the time now. And that the Lord used that to bring about repentance and faith in my life. It took almost a year, but my sophomore year of college, that bore fruit in my life. So I just say that for any parents who, who come out of this with a sense of, of regret or burden about what could have been or what should have been in the past, the Lord can still work in and through your faithfulness. So a big part of what we're going to be talking about here is is sowing, and think about sowing and reaping. And uh, I had a chance to visit Nebraska not long ago. We were there um, in May, and was there with my sons. We had dinner with a, we had lunch after church with a family whose backyard butted right up to just a giant cornfield, I mean, to the horizon, like as far as you could see, which is pretty far in Nebraska. Maybe it's like parts of Texas. And um, they had just planted that. So, 
furrows, corn, you know, rows, nothing had sprouted yet. They had planted. And if we had come back later, I know we would have seen just this gigantic cornfield. And uh, you know how that works. You put seed in the ground. Eventually, something comes up. And what we're talking about here is sowing and reaping. And so we're going we're gonna, to, our, our goal here as Christian parents is to raise our children to know the Lord and to walk in the fear of the Lord. And what we're going to be talking about all morning is how to plant those seeds, how to invest those seeds in our children and entrust those seeds to the Lord to water those seeds and to grow those seeds so that they might bear good fruit in years to come. We want, I know that every Christian parent wants our children to become Christians, but I also know that every Christian parent, we're not merely content with, with, a, with just a bare profession of faith. Right? We want to see actual fruit in our children. We want to see them take ownership of the faith for themselves, to begin to walk in Christian maturity, to make progress in the faith, and to grow. That has been the heart of Christian parents throughout history. Now, I came across an excerpt from a letter not long ago by Abigail Adams. Um, this letter is a little shocking right at first, so um, brace yourself. But uh, this is a letter she wrote to her 11-year-old son, John Quincy Adams, future president, uh, as John Quincy accompanied his father on a diplomatic mission to France. So she writes this letter. He's probably reading it on the ship as they sail across the Atlantic. She says, Remember that you are accountable to your maker for all your words and actions. Let me enjoin it upon you to attend constantly and steadfastly to the precepts and instructions of your father as you value the happiness of your mother and your own welfare. It sounds a little bit like Proverbs, doesn't it? For dear, this is, here's the kicker, for dear as you are to me, I had much rather you should have found your grave in the ocean you have crossed, or any untimely death crop you in your infant years, rather than see you an immoral profligate or a graceless child. <laughs> Whoa. That might seem strict. That might seem harsh. It certainly reflects a degree of the Yankee culture of the day. But what Abigail Adams is expressing to her 11-year-old is the importance of the fear of the Lord. And even though she doesn't use that term, fear of the Lord, she's using phrases that remind John Quincy that he is accountable to his maker for all of his words and actions. That is what we would call the fear of the Lord. That's what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. And we would want to add to that all his thoughts and feelings as well. So she urges him to watch his life carefully. She says, attend constantly and steadfastly to the precepts and instructions of your father. And Proverbs, indeed, it has a lot of wisdom for children that sounds just like this. And so uh, as much as I would love to talk about Proverbs this morning, I actually want to look at a different verse that will, I think, give us some guidance on raising our children in the fear of the Lord, in the wisdom of the Lord, and how to walk with the Lord. So if you have your Bible, open up, if you would, please, to Colossians chapter 1. Um, I want to talk about parenting from Colossians chapter 1. This is a verse that, at face value, doesn't necessarily strike us as a verse about parenting, but I want to suggest to you that this might be one of the best parenting verses in the Bible. And I think that as we, as we walk our way through it, I hope that you will come away from this seeing and feeling that as well. So Colossians 1, 28. Colossians 1, 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's a short verse. I'll read it again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we're going to spend the rest of this session just unpacking this verse. We're going to talk about what does this verse mean for our parenting. So this sentence, it gives us a clear goal in our parenting, and it gives us steps to attain that goal. And so one of the highest goals that we have in parenting, one of the goals that this verse introduces to us is the goal that we might present our children mature in Christ. And so I'm going to give us some of the big picture here, a vision of where we're headed here, and then some overarching goals along the way. So this, this verse begins with a statement of purpose. He says, him we proclaim. And you all know because you've read your Bibles, him, of course, is Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. And this is a helpful place to start because it reminds us that discipleship requires proclamation. Discipleship requires proclamation. If we are going to disciple our children, if we're going to disciple younger Christians in the church, any discipleship is going to involve words. It's going to involve instruction and encouragement and correction. It involves words. And so one of the most important things we can do is also one of the most obvious, and that is to talk to our kids about Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim. And so I think it's great that the Apostle Paul starts here so that we don't overlook the obvious or forget the obvious. It's, it's easy in conversations about parenting, and I've been a part of many. I've, I've, been, a, I've been a part of community groups. We call them community groups in our church, small groups. Um, I've been a part of some that were very mixed demographically with different ages. And so we've, we've sat around and talked with, with parents who are much older than us, and um, we've asked their advice, and it's been amusing to me how often, when I, when I had toddlers, how often, I'd be talking to somebody my age now, somebody in his 40s, somebody that seemed ancient at the time, and uh, asking for advice about my, my toddlers, and they would just be like, yeah, I don't remember what we did. Like, that's no help at all. And then we've had times of being in, other times, part of a small group that was just all my peers, and we all sat around, and we would talk and be like, yeah, I don't know what to do. What, what are you guys doing? Like, we don't know what to do. We're like, oh, we need to get in a small group that has older people. And um, so back and forth we've gone, and, and there's been all of this quest for advice, and do you recommend, do we get them on a schedule, or is it on demand, and how do we handle TV time, and what do we do about friends, and should we get them involved in sports, and when do we do cell phone, and we got to drive, and where do we go to college, and there's so much to think through, and there's so many aspects of just, just what do we do next that we can forget. We can forget the obvious. Sometimes we have to, it can take effort and deliberation to remind ourselves not to overlook the obvious. Talk about Jesus. Him we proclaim. And so it's been said by many people, uh, but I think this goes back at least to Augustine, that God has given two institutions to the world for the expansion of the kingdom, the family and the church. And both are responsible to proclaim. And I know enough about this church to know that faithful proclamation happens from this spot every Sunday and at many times throughout the week. This is a church that loves God's word, proclaims God's word. Churches need to proclaim God's word faithfully, consistently, clearly, over and over again. Well, so do families. And so as, as parents, it is incumbent on us to proclaim, to proclaim 
That word just means to make a thing known in public. Now, I have a quotation. I think it's on your outline from J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle is one of my favorite theologians. He died in 1900, okay? So he lived a pretty long life. His life spanned most of the 19th century. I brought with me a copy of the little, it's, you could call it a book. It's really a booklet called The Duties of Parents. And I highly recommend this book. I, um, I brought it in part because it has the ugliest cover of almost any book I've ever seen. And I've, I've looked at this book many times and thought, maybe I should consider a career in graphic design because it doesn't appear to be very difficult. And um, this is truly a don't judge a book by its cover sort of thing. It's so skinny, you can easily read this on a Saturday afternoon. And I have probably read this little booklet three to four times a year for the last 19 years. Other than the Bible, there's no book I've come read anywhere close to as many times as this little book booklet. I got, I got pencil, I got yellow highlighter, I got orange highlighter, I got blue pen, I got black pen, I got stars, I got dog ears, I got everything. This is a great, great little book. And so I highly recommend this. If you have not read it, you are in for a treat. And this quote will introduce you to a little bit. I'm going to have a bunch more quotes from Duties of Parents. Here's what he says. We need to proclaim, and we need to do it often. So what I'm getting at here is that we need to proclaim often. Him we proclaim is, is not a one-time thing, um, or it's not something we do once a year at Christmas and Easter. It's, it's meant to be an ongoing, repeated, iterative expanding process, right? And here's, here's why. J.C. Ryle explains. We must not expect all things at once. We must remember that children, we must, excuse me, we must remember what children are and teach them as they are able to bear. Their minds are like a lump of metal, not to be forged and made useful at once, but only by a succession of, of little blows, the under, their understandings are like narrow-necked vessels. We must pour in the wine of knowledge gradually, or much of it will be spilled and lost. This is such an encouragement, I think, for parents to, to realize and remember that, no, that, that that repetitive nature of instruction that's required in parenting, that is actually the way that God designed it. We can't just go in and drop a load of teaching on our kids and expect them to absorb all at once, any more than we ourselves do. I need to take something in over and over again to get it. Well, how much more are children whose intellects are not fully formed yet, who are still, still have foolishness bound up in their hearts, who many of them maybe don't even know the Lord yet? And so this image of, of thinking of their, their minds and their hearts are like a narrow-necked vessel, a, a fine vase of pottery that might go in your foyer or something, just only a little bit at a time. A very brief parenthesis, a little aside here, because Ricky told me that some of you are uh, uh, into classical education. I'm a classical educator at our school. So um, just this image, I, I came across, I, I've always thought, oh man, Ryle's brilliant to think of this. So last night, um, sitting, we're taxiing, about to take off in Dallas on the way here, and I'm reading from Quintilian. Uh, who was a Roman orator, and he wrote a lot about the training of, of uh, how to teach in rhetoric. And he says almost exactly this. Um, Ryle just, just lifted this from Quintilian. And I, at first I thought, oh man, Ryle didn't even quote him. And then I realized, well, that's how far education has come, that in, uh, in Ryle's day, probably anybody reading this would have known that was from Quintilian. So anyway, for the classical educators out there, that's throwing that in for free. So 
Their understandings are like narrow-necked vessels. We must pour in the wine of knowledge gradually or much of it will be spilled and lost. And I'm sure you're doing this. I'm sure you are doing this. You just maybe need the encouragement to not give up, to be faithful, to, to go in with, with fresh urgency, fresh conviction, and, and a fresh resolve for the long, slow, steady, repeated process of instructing our children, telling them about Jesus. Um, there are lots of ways to do this. Of course, we need to match the level of our instruction about the gospel to our children's mental capacity. Um, it's going to be really hard to teach five and six-year-olds about substitutionary atonement, um, but there's a lot of things you can teach them. <laughs> there's a lot of things you can teach them. And we live in a day when there are so many fantastic resources available to this, uh, uh, for this, so many, so many books, that, and they're just coming out all the time because my kids are... I'm hesitant to start recommending titles because my kids are past that now, and I, there's just new stuff coming out all the time that I can't keep up with. Um, but as they get older, we need to give them more of the gospel and not less, and start giving them deeper, broader exposure to the gospel, more and deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross. And we'll talk some more about that in the next session when we talk about parenting through different sort of phases of childhood. So we begin, him we proclaim. We got to talk about Jesus. This next phrase then says, warning him, uh, excuse me, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So let's talk about warning and teaching first. Actually, I want to reverse that order there and talk about teaching first. So proclaiming Christ, we teach them the gospel, right? We got to teach them the good news of Jesus Christ. And when kids were little, we would do that around the, around the breakfast table, I'd teach my kids the gospel on one hand, right? Christ died for our sins. It's from 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Christ died for our sins. Little kids, like that, they like really tangible stuff like that, so it's an easy one. Um, as they got older, we taught them a three-point outline to the gospel. Um, God, sin, cross, right? We just walked through. There is a God. He made everything. He's the creator. He deserves all your worship, and he's holy, which means that he hates sin and he will punish every sin. And that's trouble because we're sinners, which means we've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have disobeyed God, and disobeying your mom and dad is disobeying God. And that, those together, that's bad news. We put that together. What, is, what do sinners deserve? Sinners deserve punishment, right? We, we just turn this into a little catechism with our kids, lots of questions and answers. But there's good news. Jesus died for sinners like us. We would talk through that, and this, this little routine started really simple, like five words around the breakfast table, and it just grew as the kids grew older. And so teaching them, there's a little bit of bleed here between proclaiming and teaching, we teach our children, not only do we teach them the truth of the gospel, but teaching them about theology, teaching them about, about why the church is important, teaching them about the way the world works, beginning to teach them discernment as we're watching TV shows and movies or as we're listening to music, we're starting to discern with them, what is this song saying? What is that movie teaching? Why? Um, why, if we're going to watch a movie that has, um, uh, that, that depicts children having bad attitudes towards their parents, why do mom and dad keep pausing the movie to talk about that, uh, to expose that for what it is? You know, we watch movies, we're, we're not passive movie watchers, we're, we're kind of aggressive, we talk through movies, I think guests to our home, if they ever watch a movie with us, get, probably get irritated, and like, no, it's not how we do it, we're going to talk it through. Um, that is all part of instruction. This is the positive counterpart to warning. So we need to teach our, our, our children, this is the way the world works. This is how God has designed it. 
this is what God wants from you, this is what God expects from you, and this is how God intends to help you by his spirit, through his word, from his people. So, so many different ways we might teach them. Um, but we also then are required to warn them. Uh, we, we warn them to, to warn, to admonish, to correct. Um, our children need to be warned. Oh, you know what? I skipped over a bullet here. Um, my printer broke, so I brought my iPad. I don't usually teach from a, an iPad. I usually just print stuff because I'm kind of old school, but my printer broke, and so I brought my iPad. I skipped over a point here. Um, about instruction. Uh, so one more thing about instruction. Uh, some very wise advice I got from a friend. We, um, when my son Jack, he was less than two, he was a little toddler. Like, we're just starting to get into it, right? Him running around, you know, like, don't touch that electric socket. And he's like, yeah, okay. And, um, like, we're right in that phase. So we had some friends over. We're like, dude, we need help. And this, uh, so this wise friend of ours, he's a pastor, he, he just said, look, here's a phrase. Remember this. He said, um, the more consistent you are in instruction, the more confident you will be in correction. Uh, that's good. The more consistent you are in your instruction, the more confident you will be in your correction. And that really helped us. It wasn't too long after that. Jack got into my desk, and um, I, think, I, can't, I think he was a stapler. He got to playing with a stapler, and he got all jammed up. He got, you know, staples are all, it wouldn't open, it wouldn't close, it wouldn't staple, it was busted. And um, I was not happy with it, and, and I was ready to correct him. And, and Nicole just stopped me and said, no, wait, does he know that he's not supposed to get into your desk and not play with the stapler? It's like, yes, of course he does. When did you tell him that? Well, he should know. He should just know, right? And <laughs> you don't go playing with people's staplers. And uh, she goes, I don't think he knows not to do that. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're great. So um, we had to teach him through that. That was helpful, though, because it, it helped me to recognize and to understand the connection between instruction and correction, uh, or teaching and warning, as it says here. And so... Part of our teaching is warning. Think about in Proverbs how often this happens. The, uh, Proverbs is a training manual for young people. Uh, Solomon wrote it to instruct his sons and how to basically how to grow up to be good kings. Um, but it's useful for young people of for boys and girls, for young people of, of all different ages. But think about how often he is directing his boys' attention to where a thing goes. Where a thing ends up. What is the end of the matter, is the way he says in Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> um, at one point, he think particularly about like chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, as he's trying to get his son to think about the, the, the wayward woman and where that goes. The very end of chapter 9 uh, of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, is, a, is an introduction to the whole book. And at the very end, he's, he's giving his son instruction about the, the tempting woman. And he just says, um, the, the simple go down to our house because they do not know that the way to death is there. And so he's just always, he's just always pointing him toward, where does this lead? Where does this go? And that's an important part of parenting is to instruct our children. Part of our instruction is coupled with warning. Particularly think, think, about, think about how we might teach them about friendships. So you teach them Proverbs 13, 20. That's a great example of instruction and warning in the same verse. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, Right? People rub off on each other, like a new pair of blue jeans turns the top of your shoes blue. The people rub off, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So you're warning, look, son, daughter, if you're going to be a companion of fools, you're going to suffer for it. You're going to pay for it. It's, 
You want to take it to a hard life, go hang out with fools. And so we warn and we instruct. Um, there's a negative example. If you don't do this well in the Bible, um, remember 1 Kings 1.6? This verse haunts me, and I'll tell you why in a second. 1 Kings 1.6, uh, his father, David, had never at any time displeased him. That's Adonijah. Remember Adonijah, the, the very handsome son of David who decided he wanted to be king and basically staged a coup to overthrow his own father, David, the man after God's own heart? So his father had never at any time displeased Adonijah by asking, why have you done thus and so? Oh boy, that verse, that verse haunts me. He never displeased his son by asking, why have you done thus and so? Well, as a parent of teenagers, I know the temptation to not displease my children. Nobody likes having a sulky teenager around the house. Uh, a teenager can make life pretty miserable for everybody if they choose. But this verse gives me courage to say, no, in fact, oftentimes one of the best things I can do is to displease my kid by asking him, why have you done this and so? I have opportunities to do that. As now my, my kids are older. This happened when they were younger, and it was mostly inter-sibling rivalries and squabbles and things like that. But now it's getting into who are you hanging out with? Who are you texting? Where are you driving? When are, what are you doing after work? Things like that. I have opportunities to ask, why did you do thus and so? Um, and so this verse, seeing the consequences of it in David's own life, I mean, the consequences were bad bad for his family, bad for the nation of Israel. And so that gives us, I think, clarity and courage to say, no, there are times we need to ask, why have you done thus and so? So we warn and we, pro we, we teach. So we proclaim, we warn, we teach, and we, we warn and teach with all wisdom. So the grammar of this sentence means that with all wisdom applies to both warning and teaching. It goes along with both of those things. And in Scripture, wisdom is tied to the fear of the Lord. So back to Abigail Adams here. This is where the fear of the Lord comes in on this passage. Anytime you are reading through your New Testament and you come across the word wisdom, it's like word association. You should just immediately think, wisdom, fear the Lord. Wisdom, fear the Lord. They just always go together in the Bible. And that's because of Proverbs because of the way Proverbs just links them, that the New Testament writers, I think, would have just carried that with them anytime they're writing about wisdom. They're thinking, fear of the Lord. We are teaching children to live life well. To live in the fear of the Lord means to live as though God exists. I think the temptation for young people, if we don't teach them otherwise, is to think God doesn't really exist. If God does exist, he doesn't really see what I'm doing. If God does see what I'm doing, he doesn't really care. If he does really care, he probably won't or can't do anything about it. If he does do anything about it, it won't really be that bad. Those are a lot of bad assumptions, <laughs> top to bottom. All of those assumptions are false. And helping our kids walk in the fear of the Lord means understanding that that chain of thinking is wrong. No. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Son, there is no such thing as a private moment. You are never by yourself. Uh, daughter, your emotions, your thoughts, your words, your actions, all of it, God cares what you do. God cares how you conduct yourself at every single level. We are teaching our kids how to live as though God is real and present in the world. And 
This wisdom works in two directions. It takes wisdom to do this well. So first, we need wisdom. Our parenting must always be accompanied by prayer. And so there are a few things that will drive us to desperation, like the need for wisdom in our parenting. And we are trying to impart wisdom then to our children. And parenting not only takes wisdom, it takes wisdom for this moment, but it also takes wisdom about the future. And that's basically what comes next, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, to present everyone. Think about what that means. When are we going to present? When are we going to present everyone? Um, You know, if you have a daughter, I have two daughters, I think about presenting them um, on their wedding day. I think about that pretty often. I pray for that dude. Um, oh, man. I, you fathers know I pray a lot of different things for that guy. <laughs> um, um, but I, I can't wait for that day. I, I long for that day. I look forward to that day. I pray for my sons, right? Um, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking about presenting. Well, this, is, this presenting is eschatological. Eschatological. It's just a fancy way of saying at the end of days, when the Lord returns, when, when all of this life is finally wrapped up, and the Lord ushers in his kingdom finally and, and, and definitively, on that day, we will give an account for our children. And that is, that is sobering um, to explain, to think that I'm going I'm to have to explain my parenting. I'm going to have to give an account for my children. Um, it's sobering. But there is... And this is where what I was saying earlier, as you, as you think about that, so I think about having to, Lord, here are my children. Here's what I did with them for the time they were entrusted to me. Um, there's a part of that I have, I have in mind, uh, just a, a huge, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these kids. They're amazing. And Lord, I am sorry. I'm sorry I didn't do better. I, and, and that temptation to regret. Well, okay, so... Anytime we think about presenting our children, if you feel any of that, if you feel both that thank you and, oh, Lord, I wish I had, then just let your eye run up the page a little bit. Because the same phrase, the same phrase about presenting occurs in verse 22. Uh, maybe 21, let's start there. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So there's two presentations that are going to happen. One day we're going to present our kids. We're going to say, Lord, here are my kids. Thank you. And oh, I wish I had I wish I had known better. I wish I had done more. I wish I had. But there's another presentation going on. Jesus is presenting us to his Father. Now, holy and blameless and above reproach, all of our failings and shortcomings and weaknesses, all of our distraction and selfishness, all of our impatience and anger, all of it has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And though we are very imperfect parents, though we are sinful fathers and mothers, the Lord has made provision for that. So that as we present our children to the Lord in all our own weakness, Jesus is going to present us to the Father covered by his blood and forgiven through his death. That is a comforting thought.
But it's good for us to remember to look out into the future and think we're going to present. And we're going to, there are steps along the way. And so as parents, it's good for us to think, what are we aiming for? Where are we headed here? What do I want this child to be? It's a good exercise, especially if your children are younger. If you have uh, toddlers or school-age kids to be thinking, what are we headed for? What do I want this kid to be like as a teenager? Think five years out, five years out, 10 years out, 15 years out. What do I want this child to be like as a teenager, as a college student, as a husband and father, or as a wife and mother? What can I do now to start building in that direction? I'm sure there are ways you do this already. You're thinking already about teaching your children manners and teaching them habits of reading the Bible, and you're bringing them along to church, and so you're building into them all kinds of things about this already. Um, But it's a great exercise. Nicole and I have done this numerous times over the years. Just take a half a Saturday afternoon or a date night or something and just, just say, let's just talk it through. Let's just describe these kids. What are the character qualities we want them to have? What are the things we want them to love? Not just, what do, not just career, think beyond career, but what do we want them to be like? What should people's impression of them be? It's a great exercise. Think, okay, what are a couple of things? What are one or two things we can do now with each of these kids to start moving in that direction? You cannot accomplish all things at once. Narrow-necked little vessels, just a drop or two at a time. But a drop or two at a time, we can do something. And the goal of this is that we might present them mature in Christ. We're going to present them mature in Christ. I love that that phrase, in Christ, is there. We'll come back to that in a second, but mature. Mature, this is a hard word to translate. Other places, this word gets translated complete or even perfect. I don't think it means that here. I hope it doesn't. But mature, I think, is a good word for it. There's a theologian named Doug Moo, and in his commentary on Colossians, he explains, mature connotes the quality of being so wholehearted in one's devotion to the Lord that one can be said to be blameless in conduct. <laughs> That's, I, I want that for myself. <laughs> Um, I want to be mature one day, but this is what we're aiming for. And so that's why as parents, it's great to say, okay, mature. Let's talk about what will mature be for our kid when, when he's 10 or when she's 15, when he starts driving or when she gets a job, when they get married and start having their own children. What is the maturity we're aiming for? Because that is a fantastic summary of what the Christian life is about. Wholehearted devotion, wholehearted devotion and blameless conduct. So internal and external commitment to Jesus Christ at every level. And it is maturity in Christ. I mean, I want my kids to be mature on, on all kinds of levels, right? I want them to know how to, well, I was going to say balance a checkbook, but I, do people, I don't do that anymore. Do other people, but you know what I mean, I handle their finances, change a tire, know how to flip an omelet. I mean, there's a lot of like just adulting kind of stuff that I want them to be. I hate that term, adulting. I can't believe I said that. But there's just mature things I want them to be able to do. But there is a maturity that matters even more, and I'm so glad that Paul includes this little tiny phrase, in Christ. We want them to be mature in Christ, to be people of substance and seriousness about following Jesus. We want our children to grow up to love God's word and to love God's people, something like the way Jesus himself does, so that they might devote themselves with wholehearted devotion and blameless conduct. If it isn't maturity in Christ, it isn't really maturity at all. And so we are aiming for maturity in Christ. Now, that's what we're headed for. So um, a couple of of thoughts about how to get there. Um, In order to do this, 
it's important that we recognize that our, our discipleship of our children in this direction, if we take this verse as a summary of what it means to disciple our children, then we need to remember that discipleship doesn't start as discipleship. It starts as evangelism. Uh, that's pretty easy to see, like with your neighbor or your coworker. Um, we, if they don't know the Lord, we got to start by telling them about Jesus, urge them to faith and repentance, win them over to Christ, and then help them start growing to know and love the Lord. Um, now, for kids who are growing up in a Christian family and coming to church, we are teaching them from very young ages about how to, how to walk in good, faithful Christian practices like reading your Bible, like tithing, like praying before meals, any number of things. And yet, we also need to not lose sight of the fact that discipleship is evangelism before it's discipleship. And so we need to preach the gospel to our children. Um, for kids who grow up in the church, this can be challenging because our kids may not remember a time when they didn't believe in Jesus or didn't know about his word. My kids have been memorizing scripture from when they were little, little, tiny kids. Um, they don't ever, they, they're like, of course I believe in Jesus. They've always believed in Jesus. I've never really doubted that. Uh, but growing up in a Christian home, coming to church on Sunday, not getting into trouble, not using certain words or watching certain kinds of movies or reading these books, like th those are not the, the marks of true Christianity in our children. And so our first and most important priority as parents is to evangelize our children. And so we need, to, we need to preach the gospel to them and urge them to call them to repentance and faith. We need to explain to them what is repentance and faith. So a minute ago, I gave you that, that three-point outline. Once my kids sort of graduated beyond the, the gospel on one hand, Christ died for our sins, next we taught them that three-point outline, God, sin, Christ. God, sin, Christ. We just went over it over and over again. Let's fill that out. What do we mean? What do we mean by God? What do we mean by sin? What do we mean by Christ? Well, it turns out there's a four, fourth point. If that's all good news, how do you get that good news? Well, the fourth point is faith and repentance. It's the two things that go together, faith and repentance. And so we need to teach our children what is faith, what is repentance. Uh, if you open up Mark's gospel and read through it, the very first red letters you hit is exactly this. Jesus says, Mark 1.15, uh, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. So repentance and faith go together. This is the call of every Christian. And so talk to your kids about hell. Talk to them about heaven. Um, we talk to them about hell and heaven, not so much to try to, we, we don't want kids who are just like, yeah, I want to be saved so I don't go to hell, just some kind of holy fire insurance type thing. Um, when I was in about fourth grade, uh, we went to a very Pentecostal church and some, not that that's relevant, but um, Sunday school teacher just one Sunday was like, all right, class. Uh, we want to talk about following Jesus. And uh, I said, look, you can, they told us, you can go to heaven. If you pray this prayer, you can go to heaven and be with mommy and daddy and Jesus forever and ever. Or you can go to hell. I'm like, yeah, well, uh, door one. Looks good. Um, so they prayed for us. We all became Christians. The next week they came back. They prayed for us. We all started speaking in tongues. It was great. Um, it was great. It was a great church. <laughs> um, and it took me years, actually, to figure out, you know, I don't think I became a Christian that day. Um, uh, and so we'll, maybe we'll talk some more. That, that'd be a great Q&A topic to talk about kids and conversion, how to talk through that, um, depending on where your kids are at. Um, but it, we need to talk to them about heaven and hell, again, so they understand where does this thing head. 
And it's okay if you have to do it in more than one conversation. I have a very distinct memory of driving one time. One of my kids was in the back seat. We were, we were just headed to Walmart or something, and we're, we're having this really intense conversation, probably, probably four or five years old, talking about hell and how serious hell, like sin gets punished, and like a spanking is not the worst thing about it. There's hell, and that's, fire's hot, and you know how you don't touch the stove, and it's like, it's forever, which is a lot longer than you can imagine. And, um, and this, this, this child gets very quiet in the back seat, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is good. It's like sinking in. Finally, re- like really starting to connect on this. And we go, I mean, it's like we go one more stoplight, and it's like, do you think we're going to have dessert tonight? <laughs> and so, okay, we, it wasn't quite the connection that I had hoped for. So we, we, all right, we'll have that conversation again, and we keep doing it. Um, so re- just remember that you can't knock this out in a single conversation. Um, there's a book I really like by um, a guy named Rich Gunderson called Your Child's Profession of Faith. It's about this size, Your Child's Profession of Faith, skinny little book. Um, it's still in print as last time I checked. Um, it's an old, I mean, it's probably 25 or 30 years old or more by now, but um, really helpful little guide to how to think about your children and conversion, the when and how of childhood conversion, because that's tricky. It's tricky to think through, and we need to be wise. Um, we want to encourage salvation in our children. We want to encourage them to expressions of genuine faith and repentance. We want to be cautious about pronouncements. I think, we, um, and so... For me, as a fourth grader, praying that was like, boom, I'm done. I'm good. Um, and then uh, at some point realized, no, I don't think that worked. Uh, so I started getting into middle school and high school and discovered pornography and suddenly had real doubts about my fourth grade conversion, rightly. And, um, and then prayed about 100 more times to become a Christian uh, and didn't, was just plagued by fear and anxiety, partly of getting caught and partly of like, what if I die? Um, and so I, in, that, in that time, I really needed help as a, as a young person to understand what is faith and repentance and how do you do it? Um, and what would have been much more helpful, had, had somebody been in, teaching my parents about parenting, what would have been really helpful for them to do at that time would have been to say, look, it's great that you repented. That's great. The Christian life begins with faith and repentance. That's where it starts. So on the timeline of your life, there's a dot. There's a dot. There's a moment when a person repents and believes definitively and becomes a Christian. But repentance and faith is both a dot and a line. How does a person become a Christian? Faith and repentance. How does a person walk as a Christian? Faith and repentance. So start there and continue on in faith and repentance. That would have really helped me. And so I think one of the things we can do with our children as they begin to profess faith, or as they begin to express an interest in faith, encourage them, say, that's great. Now let's keep doing that. Let's talk about what it means to continue to walk in faith and repentance. And this will become very clear over time. A tree is known by its fruits. So let's watch for observable fruit. Declarations, proclamations are great. I want to hear that from my kids. I want to hear them saying, I want to be a Christian. I don't want to do anything to discourage them from that or to squelch that impulse. But I want to be cautious about about premature pronouncements that leave them with a, a false sense of assurance. And so I would imagine there's questions. We can talk more specifics about that in Q&A. Um, so I, I think, but a, a few things to say about that. Um, uh, I think questions the most parents ask here, the question that I asked as a parent over and over again, but how do I know? Like, I really want to know. Um, I tried to convince my kids early on that I could see into their souls 
And I think they really felt that. Um, and if they felt that from me, they thought that even more about their mother, because she can read them like a book. I'm actually not that quick on the uptake with stuff like that, but my wife, man, she is on it. Um, but I can't actually see into their souls, as you know. And so I never, re- I was like, I, I hope they're, con- you know, I'm seeing good fruit. That's good. That's encouragement. Now, now with these teenagers, there is a period of time. I have a, I have a body of evidence to work with. And I'm seeing kids who are rising early on their own accord and reading God's word every day. Kids who want to get baptized and can explain why. And, and that's a gift from God. It's not my own making. It's not because I'm just such a stellar parent. The Lord did this in their hearts. I can't, I can't bring them from death to life. But as, they're, as they get older, we get to see that they have been tested. Um, so in the, in the years that I spent as a youth pastor, I, I spent about seven or eight years in Virginia uh, as the youth pastor in our church. And we had a pretty good-sized youth group. It was a larger church. So um, our youth meetings, we probably had, I don't know, 60 or 70 or 80 teenagers coming um, and so I had a lot of conversations like this. And one of the things that we were, that I would ask parents, parents would want their kid to get baptized. Like the minute, okay, hey, my kid made a profession of faith. We prayed a sinner's prayer last night. My kid's 10, 8, 9, 11, whatever. Great, can we get him baptized? Well, maybe. I mean, let's talk about that. And one of the things I would encourage these parents to do is, is look for ways, has, has your child's faith been tested yet? Has it been tested in any meaningful ways? It's very easy for American Christianity in the 21st century, is, it's not very hard. Uh, our kids, especially if, a, if your child is in a Christian family and you come to church, maybe they go to a Christian school, there's a lot of just affirmation of that kind of thing around us. Um, and so culturally, they're not getting a lot of pushback until they get older and start coming into contact with the world through work or through sports teams or in college or school or wherever it might be. So we want to look and see, well, how is their faith being tested has their faith been tested? Have, they, have they, they encountered the world in a meaningful way and chosen to deliberately reject it, to see the folly and the sin that's out in the world and say, no, I'm going to pursue righteousness instead? Or perhaps have they suffered in some way where they have then needed to uh, rely on the Lord? Um, in our church in Virginia, there was a, a family, a grandma lived with them, uh, with the family. She was very much, very, very integral part of the family. And um, was, uh, you know, there at the breakfast table, uh, almost like a second mom to these. You get the idea, like really in the family. And um, she died unexpectedly. And um, it was really hard for these kids because she was so tight into the family. They loved her so much. And um, just such a part of their daily experience. And the way these kids came through that, I think they were like 15, 13, and 12, or maybe younger, the way they came through that, their expressions of faith, even that day. I went over to the house that day, and um, the ambulance had not even come yet, or whatever, to, to take Grandma out of the house. So she's still there. And I'm sitting in the family room with the kids, and they're talking about their expressions of faith and confidence that they would see her again, and their description of the way that she had invested in them, and their, their gratitude for the ways that she had helped them grow in Christian maturity, We'd already been talking a little bit about them in baptism, and I was like, yeah, I think we're good. They, um, these kids, their faith is being tested right now, and what's coming out of them is genuine faith, and they are, they are showing that in ways that were realistic to their age, but nevertheless real. And so that's what we're looking for in our, our children is uh, genuine love for Christ, genuine hatred for sin, genuine, not perfect, 
but at least consistent desire to obey God, a love for God's word, a love for God's people, fruits of the spirit, especially towards siblings, a change in posture towards their characteristic temptations. You probably know what I mean by that. It's like every kid's got one or two things. It's like just that thing. It might be self-righteousness. It might be laziness. It might be disrespect for mom. Uh, it might be a love for the world. It's, it's something, right? There's some, every kid has their, just like you and I do. I mean, I have my own. You have your own. Well, is there a, a change in posture in those characteristic temptations? And as we see that then, as we begin to see that change and that emergence of Christian maturity, then we can start to think of a transition from evangelism to discipleship. Then we're really able to begin investing hardcore in our kids as young Christians, as little Christians. And this verse tells us what we're trying to disciple them in. Fear of the Lord, maturity. Um, the fear of the Lord is such an important starting place. Proverbs 1.7, as you know, the um, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those two verses are meant to frame the introduction of Proverbs. Like, look, fear of the Lord is what the whole book is about. And so there's a, a book I really like about the fear of the Lord by Michael Reeves called Rejoice and Tremble. Part of what I like about this book is that if you've ever thought of fear of the Lord before, you probably don't think that much about the joy part of it. Um, a lot of teaching on the fear of the Lord is like um, uh, just God is, you know, it's good, it's good and it's important. God is holy. God, as, as holy, he's going to respond to sin. He, he hates sin. He will punish sin. God um, can't stand the presence of sin and so on, right? Um, and so our experience of that, our experience of the fear of the Lord, if that's all that we ever hear, could become like fearful. The, the fear of the Lord could be afraid, uh, dread. And there's a part of that, but there should also be the fear of the Lord is about relationship. And if human experience teaches us anything, it should teach us that when relationships are working properly, they come with great joy. Marriages, when they're working properly, come with great joy. Friendships, parent-child relationships, well, how much more so our relationship with our Creator? The fear of the Lord should be accompanied by joy. And so this, this book encourages us to think about the role that joy plays in the fear of the Lord. And it says this about God. God is not a truth to be known unaffectedly. In other words, without our emotions involved. That's what he means by that. Or a good to be received listlessly. That's great. Seeing clearly the sheer beauty and splendor of God must cause our hearts to quake. He goes on in this book just to explain that if we could see clearly how great God is, we would rejoice that we get to know him. What joy there is in that. J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, that this is a relationship that is meant to thrill our hearts. It's a great way to say it. Um, we're going to talk more in the second session about how to do this. I want to wrap up. I think we're going to, Ricky, is the plan. We're going to take a short break and then uh, go. So what I want to finish with, <clears throat> as we're thinking about this, I alluded to the idea of sowing early on. I, I told you about the field I saw in Nebraska. So I want to finish with Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9, <clears throat> probably the verse that has sustained me with comfort and courage more than any other verse in parenting and in many other areas. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also 
reap. Now, that's a warning to us. If we sow bad seed into our children, into our homes, or any other sphere of life, well, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. But it goes the other way, too. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked with your children. If you are planting good seed, God has baked it into the world. If you go to Nebraska and you plant corn, do you say corn seed? I guess you just plant corn. You get corn. What you plant is what comes up. What we sow is what we reap. And if we will, even in our frail and feeble efforts as parents, if we will sow the gospel into our children, Lord willing, we will reap a harvest of righteousness from them. So for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary, parents, let us not grow weary. It's hard, right? Let us not grow weary in doing good. For, here's the reason for it, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we don't give up hope, if we don't stop sowing, if we continue trusting in God to do what only he can do, we will reap. It's a farming metaphor. Like a farmer, we're called to be faithful and trust the work to, to God. So we watch, we pray, we trust God to do the work that only he can do. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for Colossians 1.28. Thank you for this little verse and the wisdom that it can give us into parenting. Father, I pray for every parent here. We together, we all need this. We need your grace and help to proclaim Christ, to warn and teach our children, to impart to them wisdom, and one day to present them, we trust mature in Christ. Lord, we need your help to do this. And so we declare our dependence upon you. And I pray for these parents that you would help them not to be discouraged or disheartened, not to grow fearful, not to wallow in regret, but to press on, to continue, to uh, continue to sow, to plant, and to trust you that you might bring about eternal life. Please do this for your glory and the good of the next generation. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen. Amen. All right, let's take, uh, let's take 10 minutes, guys. So we'll come right back at uh, 10.05. If you have any questions, feel free to use that, that code and, and send them in. And uh, as you'll see, the next session probably will raise a number of questions because we get more specific. So we've still got plenty of breakfast stuff. Um, say hi to somebody you haven't met. We'll be back in 10 minutes. Thanks.